podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The boys are back, and before we get into the show real quick, I want to tell you to go to mybookie.ag, use promo code CHAIR for your 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 so you can gamble on the big game this upcoming Sunday, Chiefs versus 49ers. You can bet the line, the game total, overs, unders, and every single prop bet you could ever want. You go there, you gamble your heart away, and have fun this Sunday over at mybookie.ag. Remember, mybookie.ag, promo code share for your 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 so you can have all the gambling needs you need taken care of over at mybookie.ag. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. And we are back. It is Scott, and I have a special guest because Grant and I are trying to see how long we can keep this podcast going without actually doing a show together. But I have maybe the single greatest voice that graced the airwaves in Northeast Kansas. He is a wonderkin in the sports media world. He does it all. He's a play-by-play man. He's, for my money, my favorite guy on the game where you can listen to him weekdays on 1350 in Manhattan. And this kid, not even graduated yet, he is the man, the myth, the legend, Mason Voth. Mason, how are you doing tonight? Well, I appreciate it. I'm doing good. I, You know, my voice isn't as great as I would like it to be, probably since last Saturday after the K-State game against West Virginia. I started getting a little sick, so... I'm still battling a sore throat, but getting over it now. Hey, you know what? You're a professional, and I, I believe in you, and I, I appreciate you playing through the pain. You know, that's what legends are made of. Nah, that's just what I try to do. You know, show up every day, strap it on, and get to work. Hey, and that's why we all love you. Uh, Mason, we're going to just dive right into it. You're a busy man. You're newly engaged. You have a fiancé to tend to, so I won't take up any more of your time then I need to, but we're going to jump in. We'll talk about K-State's loss to Alabama and maybe the future of K-State basketball here in a little bit. But uh, this is the talking point that literally everyone in the world has been talking about. It's almost a week old at this point. But when I really think about it, it might end up being one of the most talked about moments, at least nationally, in K-State athletics history. Um, what was your reaction when the brawl occurred in Allen Fieldhouse, and what were your what was your perspective as it unfolded, and then the immediate aftermath after it happened? Yeah, so it's kind of a weird situation. I, you know, you probably hear different media people talk about how strange the media sitting is in Allen Fieldhouse, but it kind of played a role into my story with the fight. So they put you up in the corners of Allen Fieldhouse. You're amongst the fans. And so it's just a mess to get back to where they'll actually do the interviews after the game. And so I had drove into the game with Grant Flanders and Logan Mance of K-State Online, and they tapped me on the leg as they're walking through the little 
tunnel and they say, hey, we're going to head down there a little early so we can beat the crowd. I said, I'm good. I'm going to stay till the end of the game. And so I'm waiting up there. And about a minute later, the people from the K-State Collegian sitting to the left of me say, hey, we're going to head down early. I said, I'll wait till the end of the game. So by the time the game had actually gotten to the point of the brawl, I was probably only one of a few people still in that main meeting media sitting because it was just me and like the local student radio broadcast right there. So I'm just waiting there, getting ready to walk out. I see it unfold and I take my phone out and start recording it. And it was just one of those things where at first it looked like your normal pushing and shoving you get in basketball games every once in a while. But then once I saw James Love come flying in, I knew something crazy had happened. So it was just kind of a shock. And then I got lost on my way down from where my media seating was. And so eventually, once I finally got to the floor, it was probably five to ten minutes after the game had actually ended. But I get down there, I still see the refs, the players, the coaches. I'm thinking, what's going on here? And so I watch the final second and Pearson McAtee shoot his free throws. And then the game finally come to an end. But I just walked into the media room and I said, well, that's why you never leave a game early. And then just kind of started digesting everything that had just happened from there. But it was a really crazy thing, something that I had never seen happen in any sporting event I had been to. And as you know, much as people want to spin it negatively, I think there were some positives in this happening. So what would those positives be? Uh, you know, I, I immediately, I, I was getting, I was going to punt. I was not going to talk about uh, that game at all. We do a quick take, hot take, instant reaction, all games. But then that broke out. I, I mean, I was getting ready to turn the TV off. And like you said, that's why you never go away from uh, a game. But I still right now kind of see it as a black eye. What positives did you take from it? Uh, I mean, I just say the positive to me was one, you see a team that was sticking up for their guys and a team that, you know, at the end was still fighting. But also just to me, the fact that, you know, the only thing that escalated this fight from something that we normally don't see in college basketball skirmishes is Silvio DeSosa picking up a chair. Every once in a while, you still see punches thrown, so that's not all that much different to me. And then, yeah, I just think the pushing and shoving is the same thing we kind of see. So at least it still added some juice to the rivalry because I think that's something that's going to benefit K-State come the end of February when KU comes to town. So instead of them thinking, well, we just got our butts beat a month ago by this team, now they're going to be thinking, well, let's get our revenge on the floor and maybe it adds some extra motivation. So obviously you don't want a fight to ever happen, but when it does, I don't think it's this horrid thing that everybody's making it out to be. I think there were some small positives within it. Well, I, li I like your positive uh, swing on that. So I have a question. We'll, we'll come back to that just a little bit. But I have a question for you because you are always very steadfast in your opinion. So I want to know what your thoughts were when you did see Dejuan go for the steal and go for the layup late in the game. Uh, that has been outside of the actual fight that took place almost every single talking head has some sort of opinion on him playing to the whistle, going for that steal, et cetera. Where did you land on all of that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like that. I don't think that's something you do just because at that point you're down by so many, it's not going to make a difference who really cares, but it wasn't until after, you know, 
it, talking to KSU underscore fan who pointed it out and seeing the, the different things again and noticing that, hey, it was just token pressure that I think Dejuan was applying. And then eventually, once McCormick shoved him, he said, that's it. I'm trying to take this ball. And so, I, you know, I give Dejuan a little bit more of a pass now after seeing that and just thinking, hey, he's a freshman who probably for the first time in his life is getting his butt kicked in a basketball game in the wildest environment he's ever been in. He's probably just got a lot of frustration, and he thought, I'm going to take it out by finishing with a basketball play. And he almost did that. And then the stare down by Azubuki, I think that's okay, too. I think that's something that just happens in sports. You know, a couple of weeks back during the Texas Tech game, Kyler Edwards screams and one after he makes a basket. There was contact. No foul was called. The refs teed him up. I think that's just a basketball thing. Maybe the refs could not be so soft. Let that go. But then everything that happens after it, I get Antonio Gordon running in off the bench, trying to give him a little bump because he's trying to protect one of his guys. But everything after that turns into a fight, and that's not really what we want to see typically. But just everything that led up to that, I guess I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I after uh, you know close to a week now removed from it, I'm about right where you are on every single part of it. I don't like the whole standing over a guy. I don't mind the stare downs when you're straddling the guy and for as long as he did it, that's kind of where I think stuff started to cross the line. Um, but I, I agree with you. I, I, I saw it live. McCormick instigated that with the push. And that's something that, and we can talk about the national talking heads in a little bit. That's something that even the Kansas city media, I hear, you know, 810 Blair Kirkhoff talking about how, oh, Dejuan started. That's something that I'm shocked that's just being let go. I mean, he could have been called for an offensive foul if the refs hadn't mailed in the last 12 seconds already. Yeah, no, I, exactly. And I think at the end there, you know, there was a lot of body. Dejuan gets grabbed from behind. So I think if you call a defensive foul on the other end, some of this comes to an end. And I just think, the situation where it's after the game, guys think that the game is over, they kind of go into it. I, I think, you know, one of the things that's bothered me in the national conversation with all of this is the fact that guys like Mike Golick and all these other, you know, big time talkers when it comes to, to athletics, they seem to be overlooking the fact of that shove and just saying, saying, hey, that was an idiot play. You don't steal the ball at the end of the game. I think that they're not cutting enough slack to Dejuan Gordon, a freshman in this environment, for doing it. Now, if this was last season and K-State's down 20 and Kamal Stokes does it, then it's a different conversation because he should know better and he just kind of looks you know, weak in doing that. But with Dejuan Gordon being a freshman and everything that led to it, I think some of that's getting overlooked. Yep, I agree with you. Uh, we'll move into now the true aftermath. Um, when you originally kind of digested it all, what did you think the punishments for different players was going to be? And were you surprised on how it all played out? Um, I guess I wasn't necessarily surprised. So the day after it happened on the game, Mitch and I did a segment where we tried, you know, figuring out what our punishments would be for the different guys involved in, in the fight. And I, I kind of looked at it from a, a side of, well, I think a lot of these should be fairly even. But the obviously DeSosa and James Love are the ones that should probably be, you know, given a little bit heavier of a suspension. So initially I thought I had Antonio Gordon at a game, but then I kind of thought eh, it could go up. So I thought he and McCormick should have been level 
that's probably my biggest takeaway is that I think if anything, make it, you know, two games for Antonio Gordon or make it three for McCormick. They both had, you know, big roles in this fight, just different ways. Um, at first I thought James Love might only get three for coming in off the bench. I think it's just more of a bad look for him with the optics, not, you know, with what he actually did. But I understand giving him eight games. And for Silvio De Sosa, I thought maybe that he would just be done for the season. Maybe not that being the suspension, but I figured that at this point there's been so much going on in his college career that everybody involved would just say, hey, you know what, what? college basketball isn't for me. We'll just put this to an end, which I guess could still happen. But I, I would have liked to have seen the Big 12 at least just rounded it off and said, hey, you know what, we're suspending him for 12 games why not just make it 13 and just say he's done for the rest of the Big 12 regular season? So just little nitpicky things that I had an issue with the suspensions, but overall, a week after it, it doesn't really bother me as much. So I, I guess I'm okay with what the conference did. Yeah, I, I'm close to where you are. I'm still very hung up with McCormick getting only two, with Antonio Gordon getting three. And then something that's been bugging me. Marcus Garrett, at least from my perspective, looked to be kicking James Love along with McCormick, kicking James Love when he was on the ground. Uh, Garrett did not get a single game. Was he on your radar or was I just trying to find more KU players to suspend because I'm generic K-State fan who wants to throw all the KU players out of the league? Yeah, so initially, I guess I'll go back to the McCormick thing for a second. My logic for him getting more games than Antonio Gordon was the fact that he threw punches. He was only one of two guys to throw punches in this whole thing. Maybe James Love did, but he was in that initial scrum of players gets pulled out of it. And then instead of saying, all right, you caught me, I'm done. He sneaks around the other side of the basket just to get back again to piling on James Love and trying to stomp on him. So I thought that would get him more. And Marcus Garrett's a weird one because initially you see him in there, you think, hey, maybe he's doing stuff. But at the end of the video, when I watch it, I kind of start to think that he was actually trying to play peacemaker a little bit in there. I think he might have been trying to box his guys out and prevent them from stomping on James Love. And if it wasn't stomping on James Love, I think it was at least trying to protect anybody that was down there. Because at the end of that video, you can see him using his butt to get stalkered and McCormick and, and out of the way. So I think Marcus Garrett actually deserves some credit for what he did at the end of this thing. Uh, well, I'll, I'll take your word for it. You're a little bit more unbiased than I am and probably have a better eye for that. So I'll defer to you on that. So you talked about it, uh, you know, about 30 seconds ago, uh, the national media just descended on this. This was one of, if not the biggest college basketball stories this entire year, it dominated Sports Center for 36 hours. Almost every single national sports talk show on TV, radio, podcast talked about it. Uh, it was parodied by comedians. It was all over Instagram, uh, Twitter, TikTok, you know, MySpace, everything. Uh, there's even T-shirts being made by random T-shirt companies and barstool sports. Um, just as a whole. As someone who is in the local media, what was your opinion on how the national media handled this? And as a whole, do you think they got it more wrong than right or more right than wrong? Uh, I think they got a lot of it wrong. I think 
that too much of this has been put on just, you know, not paying attention to the whole game, paying attention and actually doing your research to seeing who was involved and just saying, oh, well, this team was getting their ass kicked. They're down 20. They're upset. And so this idiot takes the ball and tries scoring at the end to get a cheap basket. I think that they're just not doing their due diligence. And I think early on, maybe it was a little bit better and a little bit more geared towards, hey, you know what? Both teams kind of this thing. But as we hit the end of the week, Myron Medcalf played a part of it with his Silvio DeSosa defending tweet. I think people started to get the idea, oh, you know what? It's good for business if we start to kind of take the KU side and distance ourselves from saying they did anything wrong. I do think that there are still some out there who are correct. Pat Forty was one of them who said, hey, you know what? KU's always involved in this crap. Tony Kornheiser was the same way. But I think that too much of the national conversation hasn't actually been people paying attention. They just see a score and a guy getting into and starting a fight and going from there. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think it was handled the best. And that's the biggest unfortunate part for K-State and all of this is the fact that once the national media got it, that you can't control it anymore. And in basketball, you're a little brother. So nobody's going to really care about K-State. They just care about KU. And it's better if they like what KU did as opposed to hating on it. Well, before we leave that entire incident in the dust, I do have to ask you, is a stool slash chair the best possible weapon for an all-out brawl on a basketball floor, or do you think there is something better to combat on the basketball field or uh, court? Yeah, I, I guess maybe in the area that they were at, the stool is probably the best option. Uh, yeah, and especially in Allen Fieldhouse, there's not a bunch of room in there. So, yeah, I guess the stool was just quick thinking and the, the best weapon you could find down there, unless maybe you – grabbed Kellis Robinette's computer and tried using that. <laughs> so we'll see what, what the next fight looks like in college basketball. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's going to be a full-on WWE uh, battle before the next one. They're going to be hiding uh, crowbars underneath the stands and all that stuff. So uh, it, it'll be a can't-miss game. It's just about a month away. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss that game in Bramlage for anything. So we will move on. Uh, Saturday it was a loss for Alabama and Quite frankly, it's outside of the KU game and maybe that Texas Tech game, just about every single game looks just like this. You have your moments where the offense clicks for runs and the defense looks great for runs, and then all of a sudden you'll go five minutes without scoring. Uh, I'm a big no moral victories guy. I think you're probably the same. But if I was going to be encouraged by anything, Monte Murphy – uh, you know, 10.6 rebounds and a steal. Dejuan Gordon, six points, steal, three assists, eight rebounds. Uh, they were really encouraging for me. Uh, what did you take away from the freshmen's uh, performance? And have you seen enough from those two and the suspended Antonio Gordon where you think, hey, these three could be the leaders this basketball program needs as early as next year? Or is that still maybe projecting a little bit too much on these three? I think that they, all three of them can get there. And I think we've already seen, especially from Tejuan Gordon and Antonio Gordon, that they will have the backs of their guys and they will be competitors and they're going to be fiery guys. I think next year it might be forced upon them a little bit quicker than it needs to be. Because if you think back to Barry, Dean, and Cam, they still had Wesley Awundu, DJ Johnson, their sophomore years at K-State. So they still had those guys 
that could kind of lead the way for them. But I, I think that they're going to be in a good position. All three of them have shown great things. And, yeah, so I, I think they'll be better. And I guess the, my biggest concern at this point is just if any of them can find a consistent rhythm over the course of the season because Dejuan Gordon is given plenty of minutes. But to me, it's about really finding a way to consistently make an impact at important parts of the game because I, I've said he's been growing throughout Big 12 play. Each game he has done something where you can say, you know what, I see it, I really like that but I'm still waiting for the game where he really puts it together because the closest thing we have to that is probably that first half against West Virginia. Yep, I, I agree with you. I, I'm hoping that they come along, but you made a great point, and I don't think enough folks remember that sophomore year for Dean, Cam, and Barry because you pointed it out perfectly. There were those guys who made it so they didn't have to take over their sophomore year, so – it will be interesting to see how the uh, evolution of this team goes in the offseason. Um, and that kind of brings me back to something that I was really hoping we weren't going to have to talk about this year. But, uh, you know, if you get on Twitter, if you get on the message boards, even if you listen to some talk radio, it's starting to creep back into it. Bruce has his detractors, and he, he's given them a lot of talking points this season. Uh, where do you personally land on the whole Bruce uh, situation in his tenure at K-State? And has anything happened this season to shake your confidence about what he could do moving forward? Yeah, n nothing this season has you know moved the way I feel about Bruce. It, it took me probably until that Elite Eight run for me to really finally fully back Bruce. But at this point, you know, I've also grown in age. I'm no longer the, you know, sophomore or junior in high school that saw K-State lose games to Georgia and Texas Southern back-to-back -back games in Bramlage, who was tweeting after the game, hashtag fire Bruce. I've matured since then, and I understand what he's going through and can sit back and say, you know what, this guy does know what he's doing because he's won four, you know, conference titles dating back to the start of 2002 or something along those lines. So although the – Ins and outs aren't always pretty. He finds a way to get it done. And so, yeah, I, I don't think Bruce has done anything this year. It's kind of similar to the football seasons we've seen in the past where it's, you know, at the beginning of the year, we kind of trick ourselves into saying, you know what, this could go right, this could go right, and this is still going to be a solid team. But then you get to the end and say, oh, you know what, if we had been honest with ourselves, they didn't have enough here, they didn't have enough there. And it comes down to that with K-State basketball this year. There are too many, this needs to happen for this team to get to the NCAA tournament, and those things just haven't happened. Xavier Sneed, although he's been a little bit better on the consistency, he just hasn't taken that giant step to being anything but a middle-of-the-pack player. Cartier Jada is meant to be a guy that plays in short bursts and does the fun things when you need those, but he's not meant to be a guy that's going to carry the load for 34 minutes in a game and make you say, oh, he's the leader. We we can always be confident in him. And then McCall May Ween has probably regressed, which has been the most disappointing thing to me. And some of that could be on Bruce and the staff, but I also just think some of that comes down to being unlucky because Barry Dean and Cam, that was being a lot of luck. So we'll see. Next year, probably going to be a lot of the same just a little bit more fun because it'll be another wave of young, talented guys. 
So Bruce probably has two more years to get back to the NCAA tournament. But if that doesn't happen in that time span, then maybe we can start having this conversation again. All right. The second to last or the last real long form question I have for you. If Bruce were to retire on September 1st next year and Gene Taylor marches up to you and says, Mason, I need you to lead K-State basketball. Here's the reins. Do whatever you want. What would you be doing with this team that has the youngsters coming back, they have a top 25 recruiting class coming in. What is Mason Voth doing as the head coach of K-State basketball that maybe Bruce isn't doing? I'm finding more shooters. I'm a guy that has, for my entire life, always been like this and said, you know, the whole lie defense wins championships, people just repeat that and repeat it. It's not true because the best defense is a good offense. And Bruce's teams have struggled, whether it be at the free throw line or shooting threes, which are an important part of basketball these days. Bruce teams just haven't done that, and it's really frustrating to see. They need to get guys that can, hey, when he actually gets the ball in the corner, you're thinking, this thing's going in. K-State has just had too many streaky players, and really, since the early early days of Bruce, Dean Wade has probably been the only person that you could say consistently would not knock down a three. Other than that, it's frustrating to watch this team shoot at times, and it happened again on Saturday. So I just think that what there needs to be, especially in college basketball right now, more shooters on this team, and Bruce just seems to overlook that because he's too committed to defense. So I think offense is the way to go. You don't win games by holding your opponent to 59 points. You win games by scoring at least 65 points and scoring more points than your other opponents. So I think they just need offense. I like it, and I think uh, a lot of folks who are frustrated with the uh, style of play under Bruce would welcome your style of basketball. So if it happens, I'll contact Gene and say, look, I know you might want to go after a more experienced coach, but I think my man Mason, I think he has it. And if he came to me and said, hey, we're going a different direction, all I would say is, hey, I know that Mike Boynton just got fired and he gets all these recruits. (laughs) But the dude can't coach. He can just bring guys in. So don't touch him. Wait, Mike Boynton got fired? No, 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 no. But I oh, just okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, man, I missed that, man. No, no. Oh, yeah, okay. No. Oh, man. No, I just – that team should be better than they are, and it's because Mike Boynton can't actually coach. He can just recruit. That's crazy that, you know, a guy can assemble that much talent and they still can't find a way to be better. Yeah, because, you know, I, I thought looking at it, they bring back all these talented starters, two guys that can really shoot it, like Lindy Waters and Thomas DeZagua, and I loved them. I thought they were going to finish top half of the Big 12, but Mike Boynton just can't coach. They also brought in three four-stars. Next year they're going to have Cade Cunningham, but uh, they're going to lose a ton of guys. So I think they're going to be just as bad next year with one extra player that's going to be really good. So Mike Boynton's a good recruiter. He's a terrible coach. Well, you heard it here first. I know that must have been tough for you to say on the uh, podcast airwaves, but we're going to get five quick questions for you before you get out and back to your Sunday evening. Uh, answer these to the best of your ability, and I will say this. If you ever try to backtrack on any of these, the boneheads will hunt you down. So be convicted in your answer and try not to you know, fall off on any of these and backtrack. So the first one is, 
does K-State basketball get back to the NCAA tournament next year? I think there's a slim chance, but I don't, overall, I, I just don't think that they do. I don't think that they're going to have enough experience next year. It's going to be a lot of the same this year with guys just kind of feeling their way through roles and how they're going to play college basketball. So two years is when I think they get back to the NCAA tournament. All right, the next one, does Bruce Weber win another Big 12 title before he retires? I don't think he does. I, I just think it's a situation where it's really tough to win one. I think K-State fans need to realize and appreciate right now just how crazy it is that he was able to win two in you know, seven years because not many teams do it in the Big 12, and it's not going to get any easier for K-State to do it. So they could be at the top, but I just don't think they win another one under Bruce Weber because – I think Bruce at best probably has four or five more years here at K-State. All right. Of the current three freshmen, who will end up having the best career? I think it's ah, – that's a tough one. I, mean, I guess I would at this point still go Dejuan Gordon just because we've seen the flashes. He's a guard. He's going to be more of an important part of scoring, I think. So I'm going to take Dejuan Gordon, but – Montavious Murphy was a strong consideration for me. All right. Of the 2021 incoming freshmen, of those current four, there could be more, but of the current four, who will have the best career? Uh, I think this is the selfish one for me. I think I'm going to take Luke Kasubke just because I want to see him shoot the ball. And I think that a guy like him could have a pretty important part in K-State's future. I know everybody wants it to be Nigel Packer, Selton Miguel, but I, I think for them to really be successful, Luke Kasubke might be the guy that needs to have the most successful career. Yeah, after your uh, talk about needing more shooters, I knew the answer to that one before I even asked it. And uh, now I will ask this one, the final question. Uh, KU is coming up against their deadline to respond to their notice of allegations by the NCAA. When it is all said and done, what, if any, penalties will KU face from the Adidas scandal? I, I think that the NCAA will steer clear of coming at Bill Self directly, maybe. I think that they'll just come at KU, and them doing that might be enough to make Bill Self say, well, you know what, I'm going to get out of here. I, I think that the way things have gone and probably what happened Tuesday night doesn't help KU. So I think that they probably get at least two years of a postseason ban, and I think that's probably enough for Bill Self to say, you know what, I might go coach in the NBA or do something along those lines. All right. I love it, Mason. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday. Uh, let the Boneheads know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, you know, Let them know where they can hear your dulcet tones on a more regular basis and plug whatever you want. Yeah, so actually one other thing I'd like to add – I think that the NCAA should also a part of the punishment force KU to throw the contract out with Adidas, and they have to sign with either Under Armour or Russell for the next five years and make them go through that living hell. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. I You need to get a job in Indianapolis and work for the NCAA. I, I would do that more. That would actually be my major way of punishing teams. I'd say, uh, you know what? You can't be with Nike or Adidas anymore. You got to go with Under Armour. I know they make some ugly stuff, but you just got to roll with it. I'm sorry. But people can find me on people can find me on Twitter at the Real Mason V. 
I've told this story plenty of times, but it's kind of embarrassing now. When I first made Twitter, the big thing was like all the celebrities were just the real this. So I saw Shaquille O'Neal was the real Shaq, and I thought that's just what you did on Twitter. So I'm the real Mason V. And then, yeah, you can hear me every day on News Radio KMAN, 1350 AM, 93.3, 93.7 FM in Manhattan, 4 to 6 for the game with John Kurtz and Mitch Fortner. And, you know, every once in a while we do our podcast that goes up on Apple and Google and SoundCloud. And every week we try to do a national hour podcast, too. So an extra hour of John and Mason for you. I love it, Mason. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll be getting you your recurring guest koozie very soon. Uh, you know, Boneheads, we love you guys. Uh, have a good week. There's a, a big game coming up on Sunday. I know Mason will not be cheering for the Chiefs like I will, but uh, remember to go to mybookie.ag, use promo code CHAIR for your 100% deposit match so you can bet on all those absurd prop bets and then watch Patrick Mahomes lift the Lombardi trophy. All right, and then uh, also, Grant, wherever you are, uh, you're probably waiting for people to meet you at the Cathead, so go there, find Grant, and uh, everyone tweet at Grant and tell him you, you miss him and me being on a podcast together because I think it's been since uh, New Year's Day since we've done a show together. So it's weird having a podcast with someone and never doing a show with them. So maybe one day we'll reunite. Mason, thanks again for coming on. Do you want to say a cuss word before we get off? Yeah, I was I was a little bit of a loose cannon already. I think I dropped two minor ones. But, yeah, thanks for having me, and I can't wait to dick around with you guys in the future. <laughs> I love it, man. Thanks again. Sports Social Podcast Network.